Hello, this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh, Fuck Yeah! with Ruin Willow podcast, where the topics are sexuality, sex, sex, and more sex, and erotica. So if you're under 18, baby love, it is time to leave the podcast now, sweets, because it is not for you. This is for adults only. Now, today I have an absolutely amazing guest for you. You're going to find this so fascinating. I find her extraordinarily fascinating, and she's an amazing entrepreneur. You're going to love this. Okay, ready? Her name is Inanna Justice, and she is a dominatrix. She has written a book, and it is about dominatrices around the world. 21 Powerful Women from Around the World. The Heart of the Dominatrix is the book she wrote. She's so fascinating. You guys got to stick around and listen to this. Absolutely, unbelievably amazing. You're going to love it. You, she's from Paris, France, and I'm just sitting here blubbering. I mean, <laughs> I actually just finished the interview with her. It was fucking awesome. I am going to just shut up and <laughs> move on to the interview because this is fucking amazing. Okay, a quick word from my sponsor and we will move on. Here we fucking go. Oh, fuck yeah. Let's do it. Rowena by Joseph Samaniego. Rowena was bred for war. Her stepmother, the queen, taught her everything that she knew about the deadly arts. What she wanted was a weapon to ensure her own son's place upon the throne, and Rowena was that weapon for a time. A war hero, mercenary captain, mother, loving sister, and daughter, in her heart Rowena bled for her family. But was it ever enough? Her existence was an insult that would threaten the kingdom's roots and future. Now, after a bitter betrayal, Rowena is hell-bent on claiming her birthright, either through diplomatic means or through war, and she will wreak her vengeance on all those that stand in her way. Hell hath no fury like the bastard princess. Hello, everyone. I have an amazing treat for you. This is going to be such an intriguing discussion. I cannot wait to talk to this person. This person is doing something that's totally amazing and she's written a book. So I'm excited to introduce you to E. Nana Justice. And she is, well, you know what? I'm going to let her say what she is. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, Ruin. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So who am I? Well, my name is Inanna Justice. I am an American based in Paris for about the last seven years. I'm a lifestyle and pro dominatrix here. I've been practicing for a very, very long time, and I've been pro for about the last five years. And I'm here to talk about a wonderful project that I just finished up in August, which is The Heart of the Dominatrix. It's a book that features 21 dominatrices from around the world, each one specialized in a, in a specific practice. And I interviewed them over the course of about 18 months, interviewed them and collected a bunch of amazing photographs and put together a really, really wonderful coffee table book to show a little bit the diversity of femdom. So that's what I'm here to talk about primarily, but we can talk about all things femdom or all things kinky. I'm really open to discussing whatever you want to talk about today, and I'm really happy to be here. 
That is so awesome. And that book sounds amazing. And the fact that it has, you know, color photos, how, how awesome is that? That's really cool. So these people just, they have, it's like they're professional photos and they gave them to you to use for this book. So they're all in one book, right? Absolutely. So this project kind of came about on a whim, which is often the case. I'm I'm one of those people that always has about 7,000 projects going on at any given time. <laughs> I get and, it. <laughs> uh, it was right after our second lockdown in France. And for, for the listeners that aren't aware, lockdowns in, in France were really, really hardcore. We basically were not allowed to leave the house except to go grocery shopping. So wow. it was a one of the first times that I had seen some Dom girlfriends and we were talking about projects that we want to do. And both of them are really, really wonderful writers. One's a journalist and one writes one writes novels, amongst other things. And I said, you know what would be cool to interview some Doms from around the world? And they're they're both like, Oh, go girl, do it. Yes. And I I deliberated for about 36 seconds before I decided <laughs> before I decided that I was gonna that I was going to see uh, if people were interested in this. So I reached out first to a few women that I know around the world, uh, women that either I know in real life or that I'd been in contact with on social media, reached out to them to see if they might be interested in participating in this project. And I had some overwhelmingly kind responses. As far as I know, there's no other work like this that exists. It's it's really interviews, in-depth interviews. So being a lifestyle and pro-dom, I've been interviewed a lot by some really wonderful publications, but I oftentimes it's I'm not being interviewed by other professional doms. And there's something about when you know the business, when you're in the business, when you do it as a lifestyle dominatrix, when you do it as a, as a profession as well, that there are other questions that come into play other than how did you get your start? What's your favorite practice? And right. so I really wanted to dig deep on on some questions, you know, is being a dominatrix political? Is it intrinsically political to be a woman of power and to right. do it as a, as a profession? Do you have lifestyle submissives or is it just a job for you? You know, so these kind of questions were really interesting for me. And also being an expatriate, I wanted to see how culture influenced our, our styles of domination. So that was one of the things that I asked about. Also, do you feel like your culture plays a part in how you dominate? It's just fascinating. I think that is a fascinating collection that you have. I mean, that is just, yeah, I mean, just the culture of it, just the different ways that they are and just the way they each of them practice. I mean, that's just what a fascinating project. I can see why you just like latched onto it right away. And we're like, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And something that I really wanted to do also was show the diversity of female domination, that we're not all wearing latex, wielding whips. We're not that, we're not all that Amazon style, Amazonian style dominatrix. Some of us are sweet and nurturing. Some of us are stern and strict. There's wide gamut there's also a wide range of practices, and each of the women in the book is known for a specific practice. For example, Mistress Carol, who's based in the United States, is a hypnodom. She does hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So I find that absolutely fa fascinating that she leads her submissives into trance to uh, to do gender exploration, for example. Or to, yeah, to, yeah. to, and I just think that that's absolutely wonderful. It's not it's not something that I do in my practice personally, because I'm not, I'm not trained. She's a highly trained hypnotherapist. And I, I partake in a lot of hypnosis. I'm a big fan of hypnosis as, as, 
as a receiver, but as a giver, I'm not trained enough. And the things that she is able to lead her submissives into through trance is just phenomenal. Miss Fox is a financial dominatrix. Mm. Uh, she does FinDom and also racial humiliation, which are two things that I don't practice. Right. And it's just fascinating for me what gets her off in those practices. Like what makes her tick? Lady V, who's based in the US, she's a Satanist and an ordained minister. And she she practices religious role play, which is, again, oh, not something that I do, but fascinating what she does. Fascinating. Right. So it was really interesting to me to explore different kinks. And I like to think that I'm very open-minded. There's all sorts of kinks from the, the most mild to the most, most extre- extreme in the book. I tried not to let my personal likes or dislikes play a part. Mm, I wanted, sure. I wanted to, I wanted to really expose the differences in what we do, the diversity of what we do. Again, that we're, we're not all holding a whip and screaming at ourselves. Some of us do. Yes. And some of us love that. <laughs> and right, some of us don't. Like, and some of us hate it. Right. But that's like the go-to. That's what everybody assumes. They're like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Like they just don't even know about all this other stuff. So yeah, it's the go-to. It's default, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Absolutely. It's what, uh, it's what the media kind of shows us in general. It's what mm-hmm. sells also visually. It's, it's very exciting. It's definitely linked to a lot of people's fantasies. And there's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing wrong with it. I love it too. Some days you will see me dressed in a full leather catsu with them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a whip fetishist. So whips are definitely my thing. But some days you'll see me playing the role of a nurturing day, day sitter. For example, mm-hmm. when I do ABDL sessions, adult baby diaper lover sessions, I'm much more okay. in a nurturing caregiving type role. Sure, uh, sure. And, and a lot of these women go between lots of different roles, of course, depending on the submissives that we have that we're playing with that day. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. 
And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Right. And so, you know, do you feel like what most dominatrix do is like they figure out what their specialty is? And it's usually something that turns them on, right? Or do you feel like some people just choose something? Or do you feel like you really can't get into it if if it doesn't turn you on? I think that it's hard for this to be sustainable if it doesn't turn you on. Yeah, I think that yeah. if you're not getting emotional stimulation, uh, and when I say turn you on for me, I'm not talking about our sex organs. I'm talking about turned on in the in the brain because that's... sure. That's the kind of stuff that that's really interesting, particularly in BDSM where where mm-hmm. PIV, penis and vagina type sex is is rare or sometimes completely non-existent in our relationships. Right. I think that women in general that are in the book, they really found their niche. They found something that mm-hmm. really turns them on. Mm-hmm. They totally get off on, I'm thinking of Uriel, who's a French dom that's based in Hong Kong. She's really into amputation fetish. She's oh my. <laughs> right. And of course she doesn't really amputate, but they oh, right, right. But the fantasy <laughs> aspect, amputating her submissives, you know, where she does where she does role play in a very mm-hmm. medical, cold medical environment. Uh, she talks mm-hmm. about her her fascination with stainless steel and cold objects. You know, so that's something ah. that and that's something that uh, has been part of her life for a very long time. She's very interested in art also and visual, you know, visual art. Mm-hmm. And so yes. it's something that's visually really appealing to her. So I think that the women in the book are, they really did find something particularly particular that turns them on more than other things. And that's not to say that the women that are in the book only do that. For example, yeah, right. Miss Carol, she has a wide range of practices, but what she's really known for is hypnosis. Mm, Maîtresse okay. Blanche, who is a good girlfriend and a wonderful dom here in France, she's really known for kind of two opposing ends of this spectrum, MedFet and ABDL, medical fetishism, and again, adult baby diaper lover. And then on the other side, the the leather type mistress. So kind of the more traditional, what we see is more traditional type BDSM. So a lot of them have a wide range of practices, but they've found a couple of things, one or two things that really make them tick. And I think getting back to your question a little bit, I think that it's very hard for this to be sustainable, either as a lifestyle or as a professional dom, if you're not in love with what you do. It's easy, right. it's easy to do it for a short period of time. You know, it's fun, spank a couple booties, peg a couple dudes and be on your way. But I think, right. that, <laughs> I think that once you start getting into the psychology of it, once you start building deeper relationships, once you are looking for more profound meanings in your DS exchanges, dominant submissive exchanges, then if you're not in love with this world, it's really hard for it to be sustainable. I think particularly as a professional, because we have to balance these very, very intimate spaces and also set boundaries. You know, right. So we're, we're sharing really, really intimate moments with lots of different people from lots of different walks of life. Yeah. Um, and also being able to say, okay, the session's over. We're going to take 15 minutes and debrief. And then yeah. 
you know, how do I close the door on that very emotional and intense experience and not take it home with me? So I think well, right, I because you're not a robot, you're going to feel things too, right? right? I of mean, course. Just, exactly. Yeah, of course. And so I think for to, to thrive in this business and, and again, even as a lifestyle dom a non-professional dom, I think in order to really thrive, to have lasting, meaningful, wonderful relationships, you have to love it. You have to just be passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. I always say the BDSM community is filled with a bunch of geeks because we're so passionate about like our toys and our gadgets <laughs> right. and our dungeons and like, oh, what did you do last weekend? Like, oh, right. I, I know all travel. the gear, all that yeah, stuff. Totally. We're total <laughs> geeks. Like, I think a lot of us uh, kind of either did play Dungeons and Dragons or should have played Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And to see like the, the nerdy kids in the basement, even those of us that weren't nerdy necessarily, you know, just that, that passion. Right. Like, and a need for community also. Right. I was talking to somebody once about how they think that horror and erotica are just like so tied together. And what you just said made me think of that sentence. So I'm like, when he, when he said that statement, I'm like, you're right. It is. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the thrill factor. It's the thrill mm-hmm. factor. It's the same, yeah. the same thrill that we get being scared as we do in an intense BDSM scene or during steamy, hot and steamy sexual encounter. You know, it's the same endorphins and adrenaline that are released, you know, so chemically it's all the same. Right. To our body. Exactly. Our body reads it the same way and releases the same chemicals. It's so true. It's just our brain that makes it different. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I'm not a big fan of horror movies, but I I love that rush. You know, like, oh, is someone creeping up behind me? Like, or jumping (laughs) out of an airplane or rock climbing or whatever, you know, for me, I just got back from a week of horseback riding, you know, galloping a horse, galloping a 1500 pound animal down the beach at at 40 miles an hour. Man, what a rush. Oh, I bet. It's the same rush. Totally. Yeah. It's the same rush that I give and get when I'm hanging someone by their ankles in my dungeon, you know, like, oh, <laughs> this is potentially really, 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 really dangerous. Yes, it's right. measured risk. Of course, it's measured risk. Yeah. And I know that the horse is safe and and my partners, my my subs know that I'm safe and that I'm doing everything to protect them. Right. Um, and the same way that I was wearing a helmet when I was riding these beautiful horses down the beach with protective measures in place in the dungeon as well. But it is, it's the same chemicals that that play part in what we enjoy in sexuality and sensuality and BDSM and and jumping out of an airplane. So I do want to ask how you got into this, but I'm also very curious about your dungeon. Will you talk about both (laughs) of these things? (laughs) I'm like, you said dungeon twice. I'm like, what's that mean? (laughs) So I have a lovely little dungeon. And it's not a traditional dungeon. So a lot of times we think of like that dark and gloomy cave. Mm. Uh, mine's uh, much more contemporary. It's it's an apartment. It's it's a beautiful apartment, beautiful Parisian apartment that I have uh, decorated to host BDSM sessions. So I have mm, some nice. of the classic. I have some of the classic BDSM equipment that you always see. The Saint Andrew's Cross, for example. I have a big mm-hmm. cage that I can put yep. a couple of subs in. I have a bondage table. I have a spanking bench, and then the other room of my dungeon because I really, over the past year and a half, two years, have really gotten a good taste for medical fetishism. Mm. Uh, the other part is kind of a little mini clinic little medical room where I do exams. I'm really into psychological domination. I love the idea of 
like hurting someone to make them better, that caretaking idea, like, oh, mm. I'm going to, I'm going to poke you with needles, but it's for your own good. Right. Uh, right. And yeah. So, so two, two separate spaces, my medical, medical and domestic. So it's two rooms. It's a two room apartment, one more traditional kind of dimly lit traditional dungeon space. And then the other space is for domestic training. So for example, I have I have service submissives that come and they want to learn how to open a bottle of wine. They want to learn how to serve the tea properly. They want to learn mm. how to pack a suitcase properly. So that space is kind of dedicated for more domestic style service and, okay. and medical fetishism. Yeah. And how did I get into this? Well, kink's always been kind of part of my sexuality. I didn't know it. I didn't, I don't know how I missed, I don't know how I missed it for so long, but I didn't know the term BDSM until 50 Shades mm. of Gray. It was right, 50 right. Shades of Gray right. that familiarized me with the vocabulary. Yep. And yep. <laughs> when I read that book, <laughs> I read it in one afternoon and I'm not going to make any comments about the book. All I can say is that I'm happy that it opened, win- opened doors for me. Back in 2011, when it came out, I read it one hot summer day on on my couch, and I immediately went on my laptop. I and I said BDSM research, and I came on I came upon FetLife, which yeah, was, yes, for the listeners that don't know, FetLife is kind of the Facebook for kinky people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I found FetLife, and I started finding play partners. I started attending events. At this point, I was still living in the U.S. And started exploring and my world just kind of exploded. Oh, I love that. involved as much as possible in the scene. There wasn't as much going on at that time in Portland as I would have liked. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. So fast forward 10 years later, I finished my studies. I decided to come to France partially in order to explore sexuality a little bit more deeply. I always say I came to France for food, wine, and sex. Yes. <laughs> there's swingers clubs everywhere. There's swingers clubs everywhere. I won't even talk about the food and the wine, but there's swingers clubs everywhere. You can wow. go to a sex shop. There's sex shops everywhere. And every time that I traveled here, I just felt really, I felt that it was much more open than, than Portland, Oregon and Portland. Oh, yeah. Portland is a really, really liberal progressive town, but there's only one sex club and there's only one BDSM night a month. And so every time I came here, I was like, wow, there's so much going on with sexuality. And so I came here almost seven years ago and kind of jumped in headfirst to the BDSM scene, uh, met some really wonderful people really early and started, yeah, started exploring more and more. You have okay. the unique perspective of seeing how prudish it is in America versus <laughs> how it is there. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that just blows my brain how different it is. And it's got to be just jarring to you to see such stark difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that the U.S. in general is uh, kind of in the extreme. You know, it's kind okay. of a country of extremes. You right. either have cities like New York, uh, Las mm-hmm. Vegas, these kind of otherworldly places, you know, New York, there's nothing like New York. There's New York isn't even the U.S. It's New York. Las Vegas right. is not the U.S. It's, it's Vegas, you know, true, there's just, true. There, and despite what, what from the outside looks like a very, very progressive country, often it's not the case in the U.S. It's right. a very, very Puritan country. Yes. And so we see those extremes of like, the craziest porn comes from the U.S. and maybe mm-hmm. Germany, maybe Germany and right. Japan. 
but sure, you sure. Know, there's a lot of crazy, crazy porn that comes from the US, but it's a really, really, really teeny tiny percentage. Right. Uh, and for the everyday BDSM player or the everyday swinger, it's not so accessible unless you're living in a really big city. And right. even then, maybe it's not so accessible. Right. Yep. And I feel like even though we have a long way to go in France, I feel like in general, we speak a lot more openly about sexuality. I know it's the case with my with my friends, my partners, that it's much easier to discuss sexuality in general. Right. And, and that shows because I don't know how many sex clubs there are in Paris. Uh, right. 30? Maybe there's two, <laughs> wow. there's two BDSM clubs. There's two clubs that okay. are just for BDSM plus tons and tons of events all the time. Wow. Totally and different yet, than here. Yeah. Totally mm. different. Totally different. You've kind of kept it a mystery exactly where you're located. And I won't ask exactly where you're located. <laughs> well, I am, I am in, um, lots of people do know I'm actually in the Midwest. So I am in the heart of the prudish area of the country. Right. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's, you know, and things seem to trickle into us, you know, like they start on the coasts and then they kind of slowly things. <laughs> and then that just about any kind of topic, any kind of thing, it just like slowly trickles in towards us. So we're like behind, I would say, than the coast for sure, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I always say that there's two United States. There's the East Coast and West Coast. And then there's this <laughs> big part in the middle. Um, right. Yeah. That's a big lump. It's yeah, like there's lump in the middle. like giant space in the middle where, yeah, I can, I can totally, I, I won't say too much about it. I can totally see why you guys are a little bit behind in a lot of aspects, particularly uh, regarding yeah. sexuality. I mean, I feel like it's opening up and there's a, you know, there are swinger clubs and groups and things are, are growing and changing. People are becoming more open, but overall, yeah, it's, yeah. It's totally, you know, Puritan based and they're still stuck right. in that and they're just trying to force that down people's throats. Yet all these people are doing things, but still doing these things. It's just not seen. So it's, right. it's, it's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course it's there. Sexuality has existed forever. Oh, I know. <laughs> even though I try to hush hush it and pretend like it doesn't, you know, even, they don't want to. I mean, it. quote unquote, deviant sexuality has existed yes. as well. Exactly. I don't, I don't really like that word because I don't think there's any no. sexuality that's really deviant, but you know, non vanilla, right. non PIV, right. traditional male, female sexuality has existed forever. Unfortunately, in the US, amongst other places, of course, we don't want to talk about it in a lot of places, unless, right. of course, you're living in Vegas, you're living in New York, you're living in Chicago. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, they all think it's like sort of taboo to even talk about sex. You know, like that. Right. even talking about sex is, is taboo in many places. Like, no, 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 you can't even talk about sex. You can't even educate about sex, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what a shame. What a shame. It is. It's totally a shame. And it's totally unrealistic. Right. You know? Well, humans totally only... Unrealistic. We're sexual human... beings. Yeah, we need sex to survive. Why not have fun while we're doing it? We're one of the few species on earth that does it just for pleasure. Like, let's take advantage of that. Absolutely. So do you have clients that continually come back to you over and over again? Or do you tend to get more new people? What what happens with your practice? No, out, gosh, 95% of my clients are return, are regular okay. customers. Yeah, sure. I, I accept Let's see, maybe between one and three new people per month. Uh, okay. So a very, very small percentage of, of people are new each month. And a good majority of the people that I've been seeing 
our our regulars. And then when I say regulars, that can be once every six months, that could be once mm. every six weeks. But okay. uh, that I've seen most of my most of my clients more than once. And and my preference is definitely to to see people regularly because it's with time and with multiple experiences that both of us can open up to each other. Right. I can learn more about them and their kinks and what turns them on and what turns them off and and adapt the sessions based on that. Now, because- I'm, I'm obviously not this, but to me, what it seems like is almost like you're doing like forms of therapy for people. Do you feel that way or am I totally way off base? <laughs> oh, not at all. You're not at all off base. One of my buddies, a, a vanilla friend came over for dinner a couple of weeks ago and he goes, God, your job is like one third psychologist, one third mm. babysitter and mm. one third nurse because I have to be yeah. paying attention to vital signs. I have to be ta- paying attention to what's going on with people's bodies also. And I think that's really accurate. I think I think even the psychological aspect is the most important. Yeah. Because yeah. even if I hurt someone physically, scrapes and bruises are easy to heal, mm-hmm. assuming I don't hurt someone really badly. And playing with people's psyches is very it's a very sensitive subject, but that's also mm-hmm. where the good stuff happens. Right. You know, absolutely. And that's why I prefer having relationships that last a certain amount of time. And like I said, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that the that the person is coming to see me every week. Right. Uh, could mean just once a year. But that we yeah, sure. build a certain rapport that we have a certain relationship, that's where things start to get interesting. It's really with time, just like all relationships. You yeah. Know, like first three dates are always really exciting and fun and like we're exploring <laughs> each other. But for me, it's a, like after the fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth session that I have with someone that I really start getting into it for me uh, in yeah, general. So, sometimes sometimes the magic feeling happens the first time. Sometimes it doesn't happen until much later also. But in general, I find that uh, the three first sessions are kind of like, okay, I'm pushing this person a little bit, but I'm still playing quite safe. It's from about three or four sessions that I start taking things really a bit further, pushing the person in ways that I see fitting for the situation. You know, if someone wants to experience deep humiliation, I'm going to play a little bit on the safe side because I don't know his boundaries. Maybe he wasn't clearly, wasn't able to clearly explain them to me and he doesn't know them. So the first couple times that I play with him, like I'm going to avoid certain words. I'm going to avoid any, let's say body, body shaming. It's not real body shaming because it's in the context of a a consensual relationship, of a consensual exchange. But Mm -hmm. for example, I'm not going to do any body shaming because it's it's could be a very, very sensitive subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after two or three or four times when they see that what I do, even when I'm a total bitch, even when I'm mean (laughs) and nasty and I'm hitting them and I'm spitting on them and I'm calling them names. They know that I'm doing it with love and because I want to bring them to a place, a kind of an enlightened, enlightened space, you know, right. that they, they can trust me enough to be a bitch. Yeah, that's yeah. when things get interesting or to hold them in my arms if that's what's necessary or to do both, you know, call right. them nasty names and then hold them in my arms. Uh, you know, so d- d- for me, it's much more interesting when we have an ongoing relationship which I think I think is the case for like I said any relationship you know the we have the butterflies for the first couple times and there's that excitement like getting to know you and mm-hmm. and then we start getting into the real stuff 
Then we start asking the hard questions. Then we start moving into practices or a psychological aspect that's going to push the person a little bit farther. And that's going to challenge me also, because let's not forget that the most important part of a BDSM session with a, with a female dominatrix is that I'm having fun to take, right. to, to take it. I think that people have a difficult time understanding that like, but you have so many different practices and so many people have these kind of taboos or those kind of taboos. I said, well, that's not a problem for me. What, right. What's interesting for me is taking what they want to explore and turning it in a way that makes it fun for me. Not doing something. Someone's limits is, is never limiting for me because not doing something is easy. For example, mm. let's, let's say someone doesn't want to do anal. Well, okay. okay anal's a limit. Well, mm-hmm. that's really easy. I just don't do it. Like not a big deal. You know, what's more interesting to me is like, okay, how can I push the other stuff? How can I push? uh, He he wants to explore pet play. He wants to explore his acting like a puppy or a kitten or a snake or whatever. How can I push him farther in, in that aspect? Or how can I push him farther in bondage or whatever? You know, I say frequently practices aren't interesting. It's the psychology that the connection and the psychology that's interesting practices are not interesting. Well, and yeah, that makes total sense. Because let's say someone's never tried a particular kink and they're, they've always been turned on by it in fantasy, but doing it in real life is different. So Very you, you got to kind of be delicate and walk, walk lightly. What do they say that walk? Yeah, tre- tread lightly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how how deeply you researched my website, but I, I write quite a bit. I read a lot of articles and one of the articles that I wrote was fantasies versus reality. You know, oftentimes Mm. I have people that come to me and they're like, oh, I want to be whipped until I bleed. And I want to be tied up by my, by the, my fingernails. And, you know, I want this and this and this, and I want a really heavy interrogation scene with a heavy beating. And I'm just like, this is your first BDSM scene. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Yes. I understand that that's what turns you on visually. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Trust me, baby. You are not ready for that because (laughs) you've been watching, because you've been watching porn for 15 years or yes. five years or five months, it doesn't matter. And you started with, let's say, foot fetishism, and it progressed and it progressed and it progressed. It has to go the same way in real life also. You know, yeah. there has to be a progression. Like, I do not do a first session where I do a judicial caning on someone, like where I, where I cane right. someone. Like that's just unheard of, unheard yeah. of. It would be so irresponsible for me, regardless of how much right. the person begs me. no. Okay, maybe, like I said, you know, there's this like three first sessions. Okay, maybe after the fourth session, if I trust you enough to communicate with me, your limits, because right, right. now I realize that you don't know your limits. You're unaware mm-hmm. of that. It's my job right. as a professional to guide you. That's my responsibility. That makes, makes perfect sense. And to avoid trauma. I mean, if you go too far, right. and then you got to deal with the trauma. Absolutely. And my goal is that people come out of these experiences feeling better. Even if I called him a whatever name, even if I completely humiliated and, and stepped on their face and, you know, crushed their nuts, right. the, the goal is that they come out on the other side feeling rewarded and full and better. Yes. Uh, I think for people that aren't in the scene, that can be really hard to understand that right. through these things that seem very violent from the exterior. Actually, there's no violence in what we do. One of the quotes from the book that I really, really appreciated from Mistress Baton, who's a caning specialist from South Africa. 
And and one of the when I read this, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote right in front of me. She said, sure. "What I do is not violent. What I do is calm. What is it? Uh, calm, sober, consensual. Violence is not consensual. What I do right. is not violent. There's no violence in what I do. This is an agreement that we have. Yes, this is an agreement within a certain time frame that that we've made." That you've asked and people for don't and, get and, that. Right. Absolutely. And there's a mis- there's so many misconceptions out there. So it's really good that you're saying that because it's true. There is, I just, I don't want to repeat what you said. It's just so very true. <laughs> yeah. Repeat it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your listeners. I think that that's a really, really important sentiment to share. That it is. They're, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There is violence in BDSM, but mm-hmm. not in my practice and right. not in not in my practice. There are violent people in this community, unfortunately. There's violence everywhere. There's violence everywhere, but no more in this community. And I would even say less so in this community community because we don't put up with bullshit. When we see violence, we do not put up with it. Yep. Uh, And of course, violence exists everywhere. But in general, what we're doing is coming from a very, very loving space. I have deep feelings for, for my subs even the ones that I only see once a year. Right. You know, I, I say frequently, I fall in love for the two hours or three hours or four hours that they're <laughs> with me. You know, I, sure, sure. But I have deep, wonderful relationships with them. I, they're people that I respect and admire. Otherwise I wouldn't spend my time with them. I don't care how much you pay me. I'm not going right. to spend my time with someone that I don't respect and admire. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and I've heard many people talk about, you know, the whole Dom stuff thing is, sort of, you know, people who want to be dominated or stuff. They are sometimes people that just need to not be in charge for a while and they need someone else to be doing that. And it's very therapeutic for them. It's not like they, they're not being like a glutton for punishment. You know what I mean? It's not like you said, it's not like they're coming there. They may like that particular play if it's something that's physical that can affect them, but it doesn't mean that they want to be abused. In other words, it's consensual abuse. There's no abuse in right. In, in, a, in a consensual DS relationship, there's no abuse, right? There's ongoing communication. And that's mm-hmm. something that's really wonderful about kink is it forces yes. us to communicate. Oh, yeah. It forces difficult conversations. Uh, it's hard to talk about desire and lust. Mm-hmm. And even in a even in a vanilla relationship, maybe especially in a vanilla re- relationship. Yeah, probably especially, yeah, because... No one is we're 100% to vanilla. I don't care who they are. Nobody's 100% vanilla. Yeah, we're not we're not used to it in vanilla relationships. No. In the kink community, we're forced to have those questions because I'm literally holding your life in my hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm playing with knives. I'm playing with whips. If I cut open, you know, if I don't know how to use my whip, for example, I could take out your eye. I could take out a... A testicle. I could, you know, I could really hurt someone. I'm playing with knives. Knife play is one of my, one of my favorite practices. I could, Mm. I could seriously hurt someone if I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm not paying attention. And let's not even talk about psychological damage, potential psychological damage. Yes. But, and I knock on wood, I, I, I feel that most people in the BDSM community do what we do with love, with intent, uh, with, huge amount of joy and consideration for the other person to, to bring them to places using fear and humiliation and embarrassment 
and degradation and bondage and and whips and chains and all the other stuff, using those as tools right. to bring someone out better on the other side. I think it's great too that, you know, you do, there's, there's like, like you were saying, there, there's like no shame. You know, shame can be used as a kink or as a role play, but for someone, what they want, you right. don't shame them for what they want or right. not even what they want, but they need to get off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love playing with shame in session, but mm-hmm. never outside of session. Right. I've had, I've had, I've had some crazy requests. I've had some crazy requests. <laughs> and you know what? Like the crazier, the better. I'm just like, yeah. oh, that's so wild and weird. And I love it. Right. Uh, oh, I love that. Can you share any of those with us or are they like confidential? I, I try not to talk specifically about things, but yesterday I posted a little thing on Instagram, which reminded me of something, which is a, it's called a lunar fetish. It's oh. a fetish of balloons. And in this particular case of inflatable animals. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And one client contacted, actually contacted my best friend, who's also a pro dom and mm. I've always said I'm I'm a fetishist of fetishists. Like I love fetishists. Yeah. Uh, people people that have a fetish, like that's my fetish. Sure. Is people yeah. that have a fetish. Yeah. And, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he contacted her because he wanted us to torture his animals. Okay. Uh, and he wanted to save the animals from us, but he also wanted to see them tortured. Mm. Uh, and I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like what a crazy, what a, it's, it's not that uncommon of a kink. So I'm not divulging any like major secrets, but this yeah, uh, yeah. fantasy of wanting to see inflatable animals. So there's this whole lunar fetish, it, it's either balloons, it's closely linked to like latex or vinyl fetish. Oh, the sound, gotcha. the sure, sound. sure. It can be the popping of the object. It can be uh-huh. the reflection of the material. So there's a lot of different aspects, but this one was particular for me in that uh, there was this aspect of him wanting to be the hero of the story in protecting oh. the inflatable animals while yeah. we tortured them. So we're like stepping on them with our high heels. We're biting okay. them. We're using all the traditional BDSM instruments on them, you know, whips, floggers, wow. a fucking machine on the inflatable, yeah. on the inflatable Pegasus. Like we totally fucked his mouth <laughs> with the fucking machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And one of the most memorable sessions that I've ever done. And what a, you know. Yes. And watching this person's eyes light up, watching how they reacted in this scene was just beautiful. Just, I mean, it gives me goosebumps. I'm talking about it. It gives me goosebumps. Like this person just totally was getting off on this idea that he was kind of the prince saving his animals, even though he really wanted to see them tortured, like the the bad prince, you know? Right, Uh, right. (laughs) absolutely fascinating i mean i would have never even like i never even would have dreamt that up and you know like (laughs) it's like wow (laughs) so yeah shame shame happens within the within the walls of the justice room the justice room is the name of my dungeon shame happens only yeah only within the walls of the the justice room and only controlled right only when it's controlled and then yeah so i was looking at your stuff but some of it's in french so i couldn't read it so you know There's a there's a button on oh, my on my it is in English also yeah it's a bilingual but seeing as I live in France and I speak French yeah and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a lot I'm fetishized for my Amer- for my Americanness in oh France. I bet you are yes I can imagine yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
not a bad thing at all. You know what I mean? And it makes you unique. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you have more men coming to you? Do you have women even coming to you or is it more predominantly one? It's primarily cisgendered men. I have, Mm -hmm. I have a few uh, cis femmes, have a couple of trans femmes also that come to me. Okay, sure. Uh, But it's, it's 90, 99% uh, cisgendered males. Uh, Okay. Very interesting. That's very interesting to me. Which I would love to see that shift. The the young women that come and see me, both cis and trans, all are are quite young, all under 30. So I think there's a little bit of shift in uh, women believing that they can pay for pleasure, which I think is absolutely super important. Historically, we haven't been able to already, and it just hasn't been kind of accessible. I think that's right. That's shifting a bit. In general, women don't pay for sexual pleasure. Uh, right. We don't we don't need to. We don't right. Need to. But true. if you want to pay for good sexual pleasure, that's <laughs> a different story. Right. Sexual pleasure is available. Good sexual pleasure is not always available. And I think right. that anyone that has spent five minutes on Tinder can understand that. Any woman that spent five minutes on Tinder can understand that, you know. Right. Absolutely. And, or something that, specific, like you said, right. something very specific. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And a couple of women that have come to see me came because specifically because I am a professional and because they wanted to have something that was really set within a framework. It was very okay. well-defined. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm here. I want to explore this and this and this. I know that you're experienced at doing this. I know that, that you're going to offer me the space to explore and and I'll be safe because that's something, of course, that unfortunately as women we deal with a lot is safety. You know, it's a question. Oh, absolutely. Repeatedly. Yes. Safety issue I could see as a woman for sure. Like, you know, yeah. And that's the other question I was going to ask you, like in the United States, I don't know that you could have a business like this. Can you freely have a business like this in France? And you're not like, you know, told no or shame or. So in France, we have the Nordic model, which means that what I do is legal. Okay. Uh, I, uh, yeah, what I, sex work is legal. Okay. And even though, even though I don't know penetration on my body, for example, there's no traditional sex what I do is very, very sexual and very, very sensual. So I am considered mm-hmm. a sex worker. What I do is legal, but my clients are, it's illegal for them to contact me. Oh, so the Nordic okay. model is the Nordic model here. So my clients, unfortunately, could be persecuted for contacting a sex worker, which is uh, totally crazy. That is totally crazy. That's like illogical. Yeah. And that's only been the case in France since 2016. And okay. Since 2016, we've had a lot more problems, particularly with full service sex workers and even more particularly with street sex workers. Okay. Um, yeah. It's it's a huge problem. It's something that I fight against. Uh, fight I bet. It's repealing that. Yeah. Because France, France traditionally has been one of the more liberal countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, in Belgium, which is our our little little sister next door, they yes. went full decrim this year, which is a huge, huge, huge step. So not legal. So what does that mean? Okay, I don't know decrim- what that means. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's there's a few different things. Okay, so there's the Nordic model, which is what we have in France. What I do is legal, but what the other person does is not legal. There's mm. like the U.S., where in most states it's completely illegal for everybody. Um, yeah. There is legalization, like in Germany and I believe Switzerland, 
Mm. where the sex worker has to register with the state to as a sex worker. Okay. Uh, so there's certain documentation that, that goes along with that. I'm not sure about mm. all the specifics in each country is a little bit different. And sure. then there's, there's decrim. Decriminalization means there's no uh, regulations on what we do. I don't have to reg- register with the state as a sex worker. I'm, oh, free okay. to practice, I'm free to practice my activity just like a plumber is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. So, or for example, in France to be a sexologist, no, sex, what, what is it? Sexologue or sexologist? One of them requires a degree. One of them doesn't require a degree. Mm. So I could practice, yeah, it's sexologist. I don't need a degree. So I could be a dominatrix sexologist without getting a degree. If I wanted okay. to be a dominatrix with a master's, I'd be mm. like a dominant. That would be a different story. That means a certain amount of studies. Okay. Uh, but decrim means that there's no there's no laws that we have to fall into to practice our activity. Wow. Which is ideal for sex workers. Yeah. We want, sure. we want decriminalization. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I didn't know any of that. That's just very intriguing. And it's so interesting how it's so different all over the world and mm-hmm. where, you know, some places you can do this, some places like, yeah, extreme in the United States, which it still happens here. It's just not advertised or known. It's under the table. It is advertised and it is known, but it's a lot more dangerous because we can't require yeah. screening. For example, since 2016, we can't screen our clients as heavily as, as we could before. Mm. I am, a, I, I am fully aware of the fact that I am a highly privileged sex worker. I'm a highly educated middle class white woman, cisgendered. I, I have a lot of things going for me. Right. Um, I, I have, this was a later in life choice to become a dominatrix. I had a successful career in a completely different field previously. It was really okay. a choice, which is not the case for everybody. It's true. Um, yeah, and that's the reality. But it is the case for a lot of us. I have mm. a lot of friends, a lot of friends. And granted, I hang out with a lot of people that are in the industry or that are kinky. So mm-hmm. I have a high high rate of exposure. But I don't, there are very, very few people within my circle that are survival sex workers, meaning survival mm. sex work means you have to do it. You have to, yeah, do it to feed, yeah. You have to do it to feed yourself. You have to do it to keep a roof over your head. You have to do it to feed your kids. You have to do sure. it to pay, put gas in the car, you know, just as, as you could imagine. Yeah. Total different scenario. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have a choice tomorrow. I could quit being a dom and go back to my former career or potentially start a different career because I'm very, very privileged. I recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to use that privilege to educate other people. I, right. I organize events for pro-doms, specifically aimed towards pro-doms that are just starting out. I organize a monthly dom dinner. So for, for Oh, dom, nice. Yeah. Kind of a pro-dom munch where we get, we sit around and we talk and spend an evening together. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of different things. My little way of giving back to the community in the way that I can. That's really awesome that you do that. I mean, just what a great movement you're creating with doing that. That's that's fast. That's awesome. <laughs> Good well, for you. I, I've been one of those people, and I think that the book, you know, getting back to starting subject of this whole conversation, yeah. the book is kind of a manifestation of my desire for community. I wanted to bring yeah. more community together. And this book was a way for me to create a worldwide community, even with people that I hadn't met. You know, I yeah. didn't know these women 
or didn't know them very well prior to embarking on this project. And this project allowed us to create a community with 22 of us. There's 20 women, 21 women featured in the book plus me. So 22 of okay. us that have, have created our little micro community surrounding our passion, femdom. That is, that is really cool. I mean, if you think about that, now you guys know each other, you're together lumped in this book and it's going to be educating people. I mean, that's huge. Absolutely. <laughs> I think Absolutely. that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> and yeah, and I I want to share these stories with people. Whether you're a Midwestern housewife uh, and, and you're interested in this world, I think that there's stories in this book that, that would speak to you, that would help you in your relationships. Whether you're a pro-dom with 25 years of experience, whether you're a submissive and you're curious as to what makes us tick, I think that this book has a lot to offer a lot of different people, vanilla, not vanilla, double chocolate, spicy, spicy, <laughs> spicy, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that there's a little something for everyone. I think that there's a lot of life lessons. I know that it was the case for me when I, when I was editing, when I was editing this book, uh, I'm, I like to think I'm pretty experienced. I like to think that I know a little bit about what I want and what I need and my philosophy, but this book made me question a lot of my beliefs. And interesting. That's really important. I, I do too. I think that we need to force ourselves, force ourselves into questioning our beliefs, yes. question your philosophies. And I'm not just talking about with sexuality. I'm talking about with everything, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, question your beliefs on the environment, question your beliefs on whether you want a cheeseburger tonight, I don't, you know, I'm pulling things. I, I'm not particularly passionate about, I'm really passionate about sexuality. So let's yeah, go back yeah. to that, you know, like question your beliefs on why you're doing the things you're doing and why you're not doing the things that you want to be doing. Why aren't right. you testing That's those things a big that question. you want to be doing? Exactly. And why are we, why, why do some people judge other people? Like why, why do you feel like you have to judge if someone wants to do a particular thing? If it's consensual, why the fuck do you care? You know, that's what I don't get. Well, I have a whole philosophy on that, but that would be another couple couple hours. <laughs> right, I know, right? <laughs> There's so much we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. in your book is on Amazon, correct? My is it on Amazon? Or strictly Amazon? Uh, strictly Amazon. Unfortunately, because of the size and magnitude of this wonderful book mm-hmm. and except for people that live in France. If you live in France, you can contact me and I can get you a copy. I have, I have copies myself, but Amazon is really the best way. Otherwise the shipping costs are just exorbitant. It costs me 40, 40, it costs me 40 euro to send the book to the States. It costs me 27 euro, I think to, to ship to the UK in Europe. It's a little bit less, but it's, already the book is not cheap and the book is not cheap. And I'm going to explain this to the readers. As a writer, we don't make any money. Uh, <laughs> the, the printing cost, this, this is a gorgeous, this is a coffee table book. This is an absolutely gorgeous piece of work. Trust me, we're not making any money on it. When I say we, the women in the book get 10% of the 10% of the profits are divided oh, the women in the book. It's one nice. of the ways, yeah, one of the ways I wanted to promote community. I already knew that I wasn't going to be making a bunch of money on it anyways. Uh, I'm really happy because I think that this month I'm finally going to pay myself back for the graphic art, the graphic design that was done. So I think 
finally getting to the point where we're going to see a little bit of profit, but we don't make a lot of money as writers, right? Um, as editors, Amazon takes a huge cut and already the printing costs are very, very, very high. So I decided yeah. to go the Amazon route because it's logistically, it's the easiest. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't have the time to send books all over the world and certainly not. Book weighs almost two kilos. I think it weighs like Amazon version weighs one kilo six. So that's like five pounds. Uh, okay. it's, it's a it's 318 pages of high definition photos gorgeous yeah. interviews, beautiful graphic design. The graphic design was done by a woman. The cover photography was done by a woman. The cover art was done by a woman. Nice. Very yeah, nice. It's really That's important awesome. for me to keep. Yeah. Really important for me to keep. I'm a staunch feminist and to circulate the money within, you know, circulate the money as much as possible back to women was really important to me. Yeah. There, oh, I love that. There's some really fabulous friend, male artists that initially I thought of to do the cover art. And it was one of the women in the book that said, don't you want a woman to do it? And I just went, oh God, of course. <laughs> right. Yes. <Duh>. yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So 10% of the profits do go back to the women in the book. If you order it now, you can get it in time for the holidays, probably. Mm, if nice. not, it's, it's a great gift for your mistress, for your mister, for your master, for your sub. Uh, yes. The, the ebook version is available directly on the website heartofthedominatrix.com. Okay. That's okay. the best place to get the ebook. It's much less expensive than Amazon. Amazon takes huge, huge, huge commissions. Um, yeah, it's just they how do. it is. If you want the, the cheapest version, it's the exact same version that you'll find on Amazon, the cheapest version of the ebook heartofthedominatrix.com. You'll also see all the interviews that I've been doing, including this one. As soon as it goes live, I'll put it up on the website. And my personal website is inanajustice.com, I-N-A-N-N-A justice.com. I always like to say, if there are traveling doms that are listening to this and traveling through Paris, I do organize a lot of events for, for dominatrices. So please reach out. It's always a pleasure to meet new women or even non-doms, traveling women, come check me out in Paris. Come say hi. Feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, although I'm a little bit less active than on Twitter. You can find me on FetLife. You can even find me on Facebook. And they find you with your name, correct? And on those platforms? Yeah, exactly. And I'm Inana Justice, no underscores, no dots, no anything like that. It's I-N-A-N-N-A-J-U-S-T-I-C-E on all of those sites. Awesome. That is awesome. And this has been so amazing. I would love to have you back on again someday if you're ever into it. Would, it. <laughs> it would be a it would be a great pleasure. I just released an ebook. So maybe yeah. next time. Yeah, I just recently released an ebook with a collection of articles that I've written over the past few years. So maybe uh, we can plan another one and I'll talk a little bit more about the ebook. We can Perfect. discuss a bunch more subjects. Awesome. Or we can I talk about totally my or we can talk about my board game, or we can talk about uh, yes, the escape game that I'm building. I have, I have like seven thousand projects. I, I'm a project nut. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's so awesome. And I would totally love to have you on multiple times. This was this was so really you, fun and interesting. Good. Thanks so much, Ruin, for your time. Thanks for inviting me. It was a great pleasure to be here.
Well, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, all of her links are going to be down in the podcast notes. So you can just click right on through and don't be stupid like me and think it's in French and you can't read it because there's a button and you could change <laughs> it. English button. There's a, everything's in English. I'm a native English speaker. So I actually write everything in English and then translate it to French. So right. just, because I'm in France, everything's default language French. But yeah. Hit, right. the, hit the little flag in the top right corner of your screen. You'll find it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you all your amazing stories. And mm-hmm. I look forward to having you on again in the future. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Ruin. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. What an amazing episode this was. Isn't she just fucking amazing? I'm just totally amazed. I am just wowed by her whole persona, her view on things, what she does. She helps people. She helps people in ways that no one else can. Absolutely amazing. I think it's just fucking awesome. So get her book, The Heart of the Dominatrix, 21 Powerful Women from Around the World. Get their images, get their discussions, get their interview questions. Absolutely fascinating and amazing. So I also will put my links down in the podcast notes to where you can find me. Again, my new book's out right now. I just bought an audio book, The Oral King. Should be coming out real quick. And Skinny Dipping at the Pond on a Hot Summer Day and my The Car Sex Challenge, third book in the Sex Challenge series, has just been released and that is coming in audiobook soon as well. So there are going to be six total books in the Sex Challenge series. And this is book three. First one was the kitchen sex challenge. Second one, the grocery store sex challenge. And now the car sex challenge. So they got three more books coming and they're going to do lots more fun sex challenges. You can make who come and who can come first, who comes second, who, who fucking comes a lot and who doesn't come. That's all a fucking game to them, a day of play. Okay. You're amazing. I'm so excited. You're still here. If you're listening to this, you fucking kick ass. Do not forget to check out all the specials on the Get the Ruin Willow discount page on my site. Link down in the podcast notes. Christmas gifts for yourself or your loved one. Sex toy discounts and deals. Some of these are expensive and they're totally worth it. The sex toys are totally worth it. But you want a discount, right? Go to my website, get the Ruin Willow discount, ruinwillowauthor.com. And the post is search Get the Ruin Willow discount. And you will see all of my affiliates and sponsors where they have given me codes or links where you can get sex toys for cheaper deals for men, for women, sexual products, and fuck it coffee. Get the fuck it coffee. <laughs> I still fucking love that. And get it. It's a great gift. Want to make someone smile at Christmas? Wrap up some fuck it coffee, some products, some merchandise, or some actual coffee. Okay, check it out. I hope you have an amazing fucking day. Don't forget to masturbate. Have fun. Enjoy your body. And make sure you come. Come as much as you fucking want. Oh, fuck yeah. Have a good day. Love you. Bye-bye now.
Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.